Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 153 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today we greet new co-host Kit Cox to join me on a trip through the bog of eternal stench in 1986's Labyrinth. Give him a big hand, he's British! Well, fancy meeting you here, then. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Hello. <laughs> this is the best pub ever. It is. It's a, gonna... it's our virtual pub, isn't it? <laughs> it's got all my stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 totally at home in this pub. It's it's fantastic. It yes. serves Yorkshire tea as well, just when you thought that's was something not available in pubs. <laughs> no, there there we are. There we are. So, uh, hello Kit. Hello. Hello. Um yeah, so you are our um first new co-host for quite a while um we're starting 2021 with a new co-host and it's you isn't it it is long time listener first time caller yes <laughs> very good <laughs> now before we, we we get into our you know history and we get onto the subject we're going to be waffling on about today do you want to just tell the listener just who you are and what you do and a bit of your backstory yeah certainly um so i'm an author i write i would categorize it i suppose as monster fiction um so i write historical fiction but with monsters in it so i wrote a book called how to bag a jabberwock which won loads of awards but i wrote it under a different name i wrote it under the name of the diarist that was supposed to be writing the book which was major jack union um and that was so successful that i went on to continue to write books under my own name and um they go off into space and Victorian England and swinging 60s London and stuff like that. So I suppose I'm a writer, but for a very long time I was an artist um, and I still dabble in illustration and the like. Um, I do artwork for some of my own books, um, which is nice for my publishers because I don't have to book someone else in. Um, I've done concept art for horror movies, television, um, newspapers, all kinds of bits and pieces. Um, so, and uh, a cool artist at one stage. So that that's what I do. So I'm an, I'm an artist, illustrator, um, I guess, writer, which feels really weird despite having 11 books out now. And uh, also an actor, I suppose. I've been in a, a couple of horror movies um, which have gone on to win awards, so... There you go. That's my credentials. We could say that you're a Jack Union of all trades, then. <laughs> you, you could say I'm a Jack Union of all trades. I don't think but... I will, because that's yeah. a crap line, but we, we could say it. that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And you, you said, you know, uh, historical with monsters. And of course, that takes us to where we first met, which is Maidstone, which is a historical <laughs> town populated by some complete and utter monsters, isn't it? Uh, I think we worked with a lot of monsters. I think we, that was the thing. Yeah, we 
we showed films to a lot of monsters and we worked with a lot of monsters, yes. We and, did, uh, yeah. yeah. We did indeed. And I was thinking earlier, it must be coming up for 30 years that we've known each other. It's got it, to be. It's, yeah, yeah, it's got to be. Well, I'm, I turned 50 last year during lockdown um, and um, we must have known each other when I was in my very early 20s. Um, so I think I'd had my 21st, um, yeah, I think I'd had my 21st birthday when I was at, actually at the cinema. So yeah, so yeah, it's got to be coming on 30 years, mate. Bloody hell, 30 years. So yes, yeah, um, yeah, um, Kit and I worked together at the Maidstone Cinema and, um, so... But you weren't there when Labyrinth came out, though, were you? Because Labyrinth is what eighty five, eighty six, isn't it? Yeah, I was. I was a young teen, so I I didn't actually see Labyrinth at the cinema at all. I saw Labyrinth uh, for the first time on VHS. Um, so it's one of those weird things going to the cinema. Um, back in the day, um, was when we had cinemas. When you actually had cinemas, and you, but yeah. you had to queue out. You had to queue outside. And I remember, if you went to Maidstone Cinema, which was my local cinema, even before I worked there, um, you we used to have to queue around the corner, um, and it would take you past the front of the bingo hall. It did. Um, and there was a really officious man, I can't remember his name, I'm sure you can, um, that used to stand on the door and just shout at anyone that was in the way of the bingo oh, people. what was his name? Through. Yeah, it was the doorman of, of Bingo, wasn't he? He was yeah. like the guardian. There had to be a gap for the old grannies to get in and out. Exactly, the which, yeah. which, which is understandable. I mean, so like they need their space to get in and out. But when you're a, when you're a teenage boy and there's an old fart shouting at you just for literally standing in a queue, you're being told off for something you're just about to go and watch. So, so if there was ever a queue, I wouldn't go to the cinema. Um, I would have to wait until my parents would say, oh, we're going to take you to the cinema in the evening. Um, and then we would all jump in the car and we'd drive down there. But I think by about 15, 16, I'd stopped hanging out with my parents. So, so yeah, the chances of actually seeing Labyrinth at cinema was very, very slight. Oh, so I, I wouldn't have been your projectionist then? You wouldn't have been, no, no, because no, you showed it def- definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, I can remember that year. You know, years later, we went on and we did that Nightmare Before Christmas display in the lower foyer. I no. do, and do one, of the, one of the, one of those uh, houses from the Nightmare Before the Christmas display got turned into Dino from no, um, no, you got oh, it the other way round. It was Dino from the Flintstones when there was the float display. Yes, and we cannibalised it and cut it up, cut his head off, covered him with cardboard tiles, and he became the witch's hat building. He he did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, when, when Labyrinth came out, I can remember in that same area, we got a load of old plywood, and it's nowhere near as accomplished as, you, you know, the the 3D set for Nightmare Before Christmas, and I just got sheets of plywood, took them up into the old conference room there in the cinema, and I can remember doing like a life-size Ludo painting on it, and wow. there was a tran- I think Transformers, the cartoon Transformers film was out that year as well when I did that and I think there was a young Sherlock character and I can remember doing that but that, I guess that was about 85, 86 It's got to be around then I, 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 When did um, Silence of the Lambs come out? That was 89 Right, so I remember coming to the cinema in 89 with my dad um, and seeing um, 
a display for Silence of the Lambs where they had actually illustrated every scene of the book which was in the foyer. And I went to go and see Silence of the Lambs with my dad and I think it was just him and me. Um, and as we were walking around, he had read Silence of the Lambs and I hadn't. We were walking around the foyer and he was going, oh, that's very good because at the end he does this, this, this and this. <laughs> and we were just about to go and see the film and I was thinking, oh, right. Thanks, Dad. Okay. So no, well, it wasn't even thanks, Dad. It was in your foyer. It was like yeah. it was a it was a whole room full of spoilers before you even saw. Phil. Do you know what that was? I, we will get to labyrinth in a minute, but do you know yeah. what that was? Because you know, on effectively speaking, we very often do have projection talk. Um, yeah, that um, that was Ed and Liz and Lloyd. That was their you know year up at the art college. That was their project ah, was right, to okay. read Silence of the Lambs, illustrate it. And that display, even before you knew, you know, Ed and Liz. So fanboy and fangirl. Fanboy and fangirl, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was their stuff. Ah, oh, right, okay. It's all coming together now, isn't it? It is all coming together. Aren't you That's glad we're doing this clever. podcast today? I don't know if the listener is, but you and I are getting something out of it, aren't we? <laughs> you know? We're getting that, that magical moment of uh, reminiscing like two old farts sitting yes. around. With... Yeah, well, that's the remit of this show, two old so, farts talking. Yeah. So you, you can be Bob Mortimer and I'll be... Um, the other else? one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right then. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. yeah so so I was very, very drunk. Yes. Well, I would be, except you've, you've got your tea and I've got my water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a crap pub. There's no alcohol. We're um, definitely showing our age. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So so for you then, it was a video you saw, Labyrinth, for the first yeah, time. Yeah, so, so the first time. And in all honesty, videos, because they were a really big thing, um, it was when you, when you had VHS back in the day and you actually had to go for a trip down to Blockbuster's pick up your video, bring it back. The cover art would sell it to you. Often there would be a standee of like whatever was, was coming up. Um, and I was already a massive fan of um, the whole Labyrinth thing. I was a big uh, Brian Froud fan. Um, and I had uh, a couple of his books by that stage. So when it came out, I already had, the Goblins of the Labyrinth book when I saw it. So I had a an illustrated copy mm. of of the mythology behind it before I even saw the film. And um and it was one of those magical moments of being able to take a VHS home, plug it in, watch it, then go back and instantly watch it again, which is something you couldn't do at the cinema. So VHS. I mean, nowadays it's it's very much a twee thing of you go, oh, I've got this, so I can instantly download it. Um, but actually having to travel, it was like getting pornos. So like you actually had to travel to get your porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, very nicely, succinctly put there. Yes, yeah. No, I, I I've still got it. I, I, I've got the Goblins of Labyrinth book out, you know, to just for research for today to see if the Bog of Eternal Stench is in it, but it's not. It's not, no, it's not mentioned at all. No, no. Now, there's, I think there's a reason for all this, because of course, yes, famously, uh, Brian Froud did this book, Terry Jones flicked through it and came up with backstories for yeah. these for, for, for these characters. That's why you've got a very Monty Python style humour to all the captions in that book. And, you know, this 
film, Labyrinth, is very much along the lines of, you know, Jabberwocky, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, yeah. It's got Terry Jones stamped all over it. This film. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and it's got Brian Froud stamped all over it as well. Mm. Um, it's it feels. Although everyone refers to it as a Jim Henson movie and a Muppet movie, it's got a completely different feel. It's very much Dark Crystal. It's mm-hmm. very much um, Brian Froud's kind of grainy, gritty, wrinkly um, look, um, as opposed to the very smooth, fuzzy feel of, of Muppets. Yeah, but and, and isn't that fantastic that, yes... You know, basically, it is a, a Henson production, but they've been, you know, faithful to Brian Froud and they've recreated. I mean, you look if if you if you haven't got it, we recommend you go out and get that Goblins of the Labyrinth. Oh book. God, yeah, 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 yeah. The illustrations in that they perfectly recreated for the film, you know. Yeah. Um, but the book came first, so entirely faithful. It has yeah that grittiness to it, you know. It feels like a Monty Python film, if anything, more than a you know a Muppet film. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned Jabberwocky a couple of times. Um, so, again, one of those films which is often twigged as a, a down as a Monty Python movie and isn't. It just happens to have people in it from the Monty Python yeah. films, um, and it's got it's got a a grimier feel than the Monty Python films. The comedy is is more it's more time bandits mm. um in the feel of that but that's got a very gritty grainy wrinkly almost visceral uh feel to the special effects that i really like and and it came across i think that jabberwocky film mentality definitely came across in labyrinth but in a more family friendly way and isn't it great that you can have that darkness that edginess but you can have it totally wrapped up in a family film, you know, and I know my children, when they first watched it, you know, when they were small, you know, when they were like five, they did find the beginning scary, you know, yeah. the, 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 the abduction of, of the baby scary. It is you scary. Know? And it is scary. And that's how it's meant to be. Children like to be scared, you know. There's nothing nasty in this film, though. There's nothing sadistic in it. And I, I think that's why it, it's it's retained its, you know, status as a, as, as a classic piece of entertainment i think yeah yeah i, I fully agree I, I think the fact that um as you said so like it's got scary moments in it Roald Dahl always points out that if you're going to make a good children's book you've got to scare the children um there's got to be moments where people think oh the, these characters might not survive this mm. um where there's he i think he's is it george's marvelous medicine is that the, the one um where spoilers but he kills the grandma he poisons yes, her yeah. um, and um, Roald Dahl was told many times you, you can't do that and he goes oh no it's what children want and I think Labyrinth definitely plays on that that image of this is what children want they want to be scared um, and and it really does and I think it still scares adults a certain uh, parts of Labyrinth especially on the Bog of Eternal Stench and the lead up to the Bog of Eternal Stench where I feel massively uncomfortable um, whilst, yeah, I feel massively uncomfortable watching certain bits of Labyrinth because of the way they make you feel. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, shall we talk bogs then? Yes, let's talk bogs. Let's go back to the bogs. And uh, I'm not talking Maidstone. I'm talking about <laughs> the, the, the bog of eternal stench. Yes. Yeah! 
sequence starts i mean we've got sarah and and hoggle there at the edge of the bog and yeah. um i do like you, you know the craftsmanship that's gone into the whole film but here i mean it, it it's just an aside before to get you from one place to the next place but the amount of craftsmanship that's gone into this i mean yeah they suddenly realize there's a bad smell they look around we've got the bog of eternal stench and right from the get-go i like the fact that yeah you've got all these farting noises, but you've got visuals to the audio because you've got what looked like sphincters or something sticking out the water, <laughs> right? Don't you think? They do look like sphincters um, sphincting away. And they've they've done the sound to match the, the spasms of these sphincters. Now, I've looked and looked, and I want to know who's operating these sphincters. Have you got a guy... <laughs> You know, in a scuba diver outfit under there. Is there some poor guy under there, like, blowing into a tube to make this happen? I mean, I mean as far as I'm aware, from going back to the making of things, the whole bog of eternal stench was literally just pipes blowing yes. um, gas up through the stuff. It's... Um, it was uh, one of these things where uh, Jennifer Connolly, very, very succinctly put in an interview once that uh, yeah the bog of eternal stench didn't smell um there was no smell there at all because it was a massive set um and she was asked this question she just went oh no no it didn't smell and it was that that moment when you realize that from the acting and the sound effects and as you said the sphincters and the bubbling and just the general color of it you could smell that mm -hmm. bog Yep. even though it had no smell and you were watching it in a media where you would never have got a smell from it. No, they're selling it totally, aren't they? Yeah, they are really 100%. selling it. So. Yeah. You, there, there is a certain amount of... As a kid, the idea of being accused of being the one that farted in a room um, or or being the one that... When, when everyone's smelling something, and, oh, he stepped in dog mark and, and whatnot... It's one of those really visceral things that you don't want to happen to you. You don't want to be the person that smells of something. So the idea of if you put your foot in it, you're going to smell forever. Hmm. Um, it's it's really it's really very clever for as we said a media that doesn't give that that one thing doesn't give it to you, and yet you truly believe that this place reeks. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. There they are. They're at the they're at the shore. Um, Sarah and Hoggle. What do you think yep. of Hoggle? What do you have? Have you an opinion of Hoggle? Has, has your opinion on? That's a question I didn't ask you. Is you know the opinion of the film? How has that changed over the years since you first you know went on your walk down to Blockbusters to get it? 
it i think it's really changed when i when i first watched it obviously um i fell head over heels in love with jennifer connelly um, because she was the archetypal girl next door but she was still very cool she had the kind of molly ringwald fashion from um 16 candles and all that kind of stuff going on so you instantly fell for her and and she was a geek um, <laughs> all all us geeks that were role playing and drawing and doing all those reading comics, she she fell into that category, and you, you just didn't know girls like that. Nope. Um, it was it was before the internet where you could get introduced to girls like that, um, and you could, um, <laughs> but you you literally all the girls you met um, as a teenager were girls that were into music and fashion and things like that. They might not have been. But that's the impression you got as a teenage boy. So to see this girl that was clearly into swords and sorcery and magic and whatnot. And now, you know, there are thousands of women like that. Um, But at the time, it was she was something special. She was something that she played to those girls that had that thing of probably felt ignored um, by fantasy fiction Um, and uh, it played to boys that needed that kind of female role model to come up so so she was always that initial girl however now I'm an uh, now I'm an older man there are so many things that happen in that film that I do think to myself Jesus me hashtag me too Um, (laughs) you just think it there's a project U tree just waiting around the corner <laughs> for that entire movie because you're thinking i'm not 100 percent sure how old she was when she filmed it but you do think there's some dodgy moments there in are this dodgy film. moments in this film looking upon it now i mean yeah 30 years later or whatever yes yeah oh, blimey yes um so but you 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 were pointing out what what my feelings towards hoggle hoggle when i first watched it i hated him he was he was one of those grotesques that you looked at and you go oh no I like that he's in the film and he's a nice character but he's not my favourite there are cuddlier characters Ludo um, Lord Didymus um, they're um, they're the great characters that you take away from it it's in the goblins so like they're the ones that you want but Hoggle was just a little bit too like the old fella down the end of the pub down the end of the bar at the pub drinking by himself with the red nose we're back to Maidstone um, again aren't we <laughs> we are back to Maidstone <laughs> but um so he wasn't a hero, and you saw David Bowie because he was obviously everybody wanted to be David Bowie at that time, and to have him there as a as a, a Goblin King, you wanted to be the Goblin King. But I watched it with my kids, and I I generally looked through my fingers at so many of his scenes, especially now knowing the history of David Bowie. So like as much as people don't want to admit it, so like. David Bowie copped off with people underage all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, um, so the whole ballroom scene and the whole he's basically trying to seduce a young girl throughout this entire film. Hoggle suddenly becomes the hero because he's the <laughs> he's the only one that's not interested in her sexually, and he's trying to save her life. Yes. Um, <laughs> He just wants her out of there, and you're thinking, yeah, that that's what an older guy should be like. He shouldn't be hanging around young girls and going, marry me, I've been everything you wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a peach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, back then, I always found him very irritating, Hoggle. Um, but yeah. now, I, watching it today, you know, 
Um, I'm very impressed by, you know, how they accomplished him, you know, the actual, you know, the animatronics on the face and everything. I think it still holds up really well. I still don't like his voice. I don't like Brian Henson's acting uh, style. Yeah, it's, it, I, see, I don't mind it. Um, he's got some of my favourite lines in the, in the whole film. I mean, what did you expect a fairy to do? Yes, I after re- he's just killed one. Yeah, I re- and and the the kick it, the, the the animation of, of the animation the puppetry of kicking dirt over the body of it like a cat kicking so like um kept burying their own poo. Mm-hmm. Um you just think to yourself it's just so well done. It really is as a character. I think it comes across really well. And I don't mind the voice. I I think it it's definitely trying to delve into that I'm a bit of a Cornish man, aren't I? I yeah, don't it's, really it's just, know what's going on. It's a bit put on. It's a bit too forced to me. It doesn't yeah. sound natural. Which I, I, I guess, I mean, you know, it's labyrinth. You know, I guess I, I, I shouldn't think like that because, you know, that the whole thing is a fairy tale, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't be striving for realism when you've got a three-foot-tall goblin talking yeah, on I, the screen. I think the thing with, with um, Hoggle, why, the only reason Hoggle grates with me from an artistic point of view, and, and especially in the Bog of Eternal Stench, um, is he definitely looks like someone wearing those big um, It's a Knockout costumes with the massive heads, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where it, it's just wrong-shaped. Um, it's... Although the goblins like that, then the, the heads aren't quite so big and quite so out of proportion with the rest of the body, and the hands are the same. And when he's going across the wall in the bog of eternal stench at the beginning, when the the footpath collapses slightly beneath them, I've always looked at that scene and and felt slightly uncomfortable by the hands and the head of Hoggle. It it's one of the scenes where I think he looks most like a puppet held against a wall. Hmm. Yeah. And less like an actual being, whereas the others all feel like beings. But yeah. I think he's too human for you to suspend the belief you need to suspend to make him work. That's very nicely put. I think that's exactly what it is. They've tried to make him just a caricatured human, but if he had been more goblin-like, I yeah. think I think we'd have cut him more slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, if you... they had covered his face with a beard, maybe, and made him proper dwarf-like, but yes, sort of like they yeah. were trying to go away from the the cliche: a dwarf has a beard, a fairy is sweet, um, yeah, yeah, a worm yeah. doesn't talk. Yeah, if it'd be more Gimli-like, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you? I know, I know, you went to a couple of the Folkestone conventions, but did you go to that Folkestone convention where a guy was operating a hoggle? Yes, yes. I was going to say, um, so. Yeah, the 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 guy. Um, I've, I've got to get this straight now because um, to make sure it's the, it's the right guy. But the guy that built the hoggle there was the same guy that um, built his daughter. A you know the old ladies from the um, oh, what's the thing um, with the, all their their junk on their back. He actually made the same guy that made that hoggle costume for Folkestone also made um, one of those costumes for his daughter so she could carry loads of stuff on her back. Now, his daughter was very, very young, um, so he makes some fantastic bits of art. But he's an actor, but he's also a puppeteer and model maker. 
Um, oh. And he's done some fantastic, some fantastic bits of work. Um, and uh, yeah, stunning, stunning. But the thing was, was I mean, the people listening to this now at home are not going to know what we're talking about. So just like fill it in. So there was a oh, guy. I've got a photo. I, I've got a photo. I'll be putting on the Facebook page to illustrate. Oh, it, okay. I took a photo okay. of when he ca- came along. Yeah. Yeah, so he, um, yeah, he had that thing on the front of him. So he yes. actually had Hoggle in front of him, and he was walking behind Hoggle, um, and uh, it was it was one of those wonderful moments where you found yourself talking to Hoggle rather than talking to the guy. You have totally read my mind because the whole point of me raising this subject was. Yeah, I had a table at that convention, and he came along to my table, and because I was sat down behind my table, I was at eye level with Hoggle, and even though I was talking to him, <laughs> I was talking to Hoggle. You couldn't look away from Hoggle, even though I yeah, knew yeah. that you know Hoggle was standing on his feet, and he was operating Hoggle's hands with the two rods. Yeah. You, you, it, it was the strangest thing, wasn't it? It, he's a, he's a really nice because I remember meeting him. That was the first time I ever met him. I met him there, but I've done a few book signings and he's been there. His name's Doug Danes, by the way. So oh, right. I, I knew I was trying to remember his surname. I was thinking it's Doug something. So his name's Doug Danes. So I'm sure you can look his work up online. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he does a lot of cosplay, and as I said, he dresses his his daughter up um, in all these fantastical costumes as well. But um, and he's made a big Ludo costume, and uh, he's made the little worm and and things. But I remember meeting him for the first time at that Folkestone thing, and actually saying to him, "Oh, suddenly realizing he was there, and then realizing <laughs> that I had been speaking to his crotch, basically, <laughs> for a good good five ten minutes." Um, because your vision is directed towards this. Um, this hoggle and he was believable there mm. uh, I don't know what it was what having him in the room with you you felt you were talking to him because uh, I, the the reason I remembered that Doug was there was I ha- suddenly had that moment of oh there's someone trying to get past because right, I was talking right. to Hoggle, and there was, I was thinking, there's a guy who's been stood behind you now for a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably trying to get past. Um, and then realising that, yeah, I'm not talking to uh, a child or, uh, <laughs> or a, a little person in a costume. I'm actually talking to a man's crotch. So doesn't that show then that it does work? The design, even though we've got niggles about, oh, the head might be too big, it works as a character, definitely. I d- yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're faced with it, you 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 have this this you you direct your thing to him. But very, but it's isn't that the same for things like Basil Brush and Kermit the Frog? Mm. Wouldn't wouldn't you end up t- talking to the the puppet rather than talking to the person? Yeah, any of the Muppets. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen behind the scene things where you know you've got people and you know behind the puppet you've got them all dressed in green or all dressed in black, and it's ob- obvious you know how they're doing it. But your eyes drawn to that character though, isn't it? Of if course, it's done well. You know. Yeah, I just I just think that sometimes. There's obviously going to be a limitation that you can have with a puppet, um, especially when you're up against live action um, scenes. When you've got a real actor standing next to a puppet, you're always going to be drawn out of that suspension of disbelief. Mm. And I just think that in that particular moment in time, a puppet is not designed to jam itself against a wall. You haven't got the right weight 
you haven't got all those kinds of things mm. you don't actually have a fear of falling so i think that first moment when they first come into the bog of eternal stench and the wall drops away from beneath them i always have a bit of a niggle that i suddenly am very aware this is a puppet yes yes um so also we haven't mentioned it but ludo's in this scene because they fall down no, they, they fall off that ledge and, and, and there's yeah. ludo and um and uh, that's at the point, that's when Hoggle says, if you get any of this stuff on you, you're going to stink forever. Yes. And, um, and they're going to go across this bridge that Sarah has seen. Now, one of the things I, I love about Labyrinth is just this attention to detail and this, you know, this uh, occasions where they put things in that aren't necessary. It doesn't do anything. And, and you've got a classic example here is when they're going towards the bridge there's this little skinny flying thing in the air this little yeah. fat thing with a long neck with these pathetic little wings which are flapping like mad which can't possibly keep it in the air and it's just <laughs> it's just <laughs> yes. it's, it's just very very slowly just trundling through the air they didn't need to put that in but it's all part of the flavor isn't it i quite see this is this is one of the things about if if you watch all of labyrinth and i'm pretty sure that this is be one of those podcasts that people go oh god i can't really remember it or it's been a, such a long time i'm going to go back and rewatch it but um throughout labyrinth there are david bowie faces so i don't know if, yes. you, if yes. you're aware of this so there's there's loads um i don't know somewhere between seven and twelve hidden faces now some of them are quite obvious but in the bog of eternal stench scene there's two um which are I would say probably the two most difficult to spot. There's one as they enter the bog of eternal stench, um, on the rock face, mm-hmm. um, and it's, if I remember rightly, it's on the rock face right off to the right hand side right. of the yeah. screen. It's almost off the screen, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost not in it at all, and it literally is just the way the the rock face is shaded. Um, and then there's another one as they leave, as they've crossed that bridge that you've just been talking about, and they're leaving and they go through a forest. There's almost in exactly the same place. There's another David Bowie face in the trees. Mm. It's so, great, isn't it? Isn't it terrific? And and they are literally as as I'm saying. So those would have originally been designed to be seen on the big screen. Yep. For a couple of seconds, if that. And then they were gone. So someone took a long time to make those work, knowing, because don't forget, this is the day of VHS and so like people not really owning videos and, and whatnot. They didn't think people were going to watch these again and again and again and, and be able to pause them and stop them and go, oh, that's, there's another no, David Bowie. At the very person. most, you might have a, a, a rerun, but that's yeah. about it. Exactly, and someone might say, oh, don't forget to look out for the David Bowie. Mm. Um, and then you'd come out and go, oh, God, I forgot to look out for the David Bowie. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was it. So I, I think there are so many beautiful little details in this film. Um, that, and especially, the, as you said, the, the little flying creature, the little house, the work that went into the bridge that basically just collapses, um, all this kind of stuff, I think is stunning it's yeah. it just goes to show that physical props used to have a beautiful following behind them um and um and it's a skill that i don't think is dying um because i think there's people trying to keep that skill alive but i think labyrinth really holds on to it not just in a 
this is a Muppet movie sense, but we need to design everything. Because you can see that each one of those, especially the Bog of Eternal Stench, is a set. Yeah. Nothing there feels like they're outside. It all well, that, feels like they're in a building. Yeah, when I watch this film, I always find it very startling at the beginning when Sarah comes in and it's a proper exterior because most of the film, it's in the labyrinth and it's all interior. It's always very odd when you see the real world at the beginning yes. of Labyrinth, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think even when it gets to the bedroom scene at the end, the bedroom scene, that makes it sound dodgy. Um, <laughs> so, but um, even when it gets to that, that's so clearly um, in a studio. Everything is in a studio apart from that one bit in the park. Yeah, running in the rain, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right, well, this bridge we keep talking about, that's where they go, and that's where they find uh, Sir Didymus, who's, yes. uh, who's just stood there in his little alcove. That's it. Um, I called him Lord Didymus earlier. You did. No, bad about so, it. Well, he might be a lord as well. Um, but I always wonder, is this his lot in life? He just stands in this alcove waiting for somebody to come along to challenge yes. him. A bit like the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, I think, and I think that's, that's the whole premise, isn't it? It's the fact that you've got these people that hang around when you're thinking, well, just go. I mean, yeah. what's going to happen? <laughs> It's it's the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade moment, isn't it? I've yes. been waiting around in here for someone to drink from a cup. How many people have turned up in the time? You're the first in <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years, to be honest with you. Oh, well, I'm, you're doing a good job. You're keeping everyone out. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do wonder with old Didymus here, who gave him this task of guarding the bridge? I, I think the fact that he can't smell... I think he probably took it himself uh, because maybe. he's. He, I, I always it always struck me that he's that he's very uh, egotistical, and uh, I can do something that no one else can do. I'm the bravest. I'm the strongest. I'm the fastest. And to him, it's like with a bog of eternal stench, he can't smell it. So therefore, he's absolutely over the moon that he's there. Yeah, um, nobody else can do this job. Yeah. Nobody can stand here like I can. Nobody else can stand there because they can't abide the stench. But that hasn't occurred to him, has it? That's it, yeah. I like the fact that he thinks that just by being there, he's he's something more ex- impressive than anybody else. So I think he feels that standing there is the greatest thing ever. I like his dog, the dog that he rides on. That sometimes Ambrosius. Ambrosius, that's it. Sometimes he's um, sometimes he's uh, played by a real dog, <laughs> and sometimes he's basically played by a shaggier version of the dog from Fraggle Rock. That doesn't um, look at all convincing, <laughs> does it? When he sticks his head round the corner and he goes, come yeah. on, Ambrosius, and the head ducks away and then a real dog comes out. I, I don't believe for one second that's right. that's the same animal, you know? It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those wonderful moments of this is a scary dog and he's gone back and said to the other dog, it's, you're up now, mate. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's, it's your turn. Yes, dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, you know, D- Didymus comes out, he's going to guard this bridge, and it, I, it's terrific puppet work, because, you know, he's obviously, he's operated from below for all the close-ups. Yeah. And when there's, like, a long shot where, like, where he leaps onto the bridge, that's obviously, you know, like, like a Jerry Anderson-style puppet on wires, and he's yeah. lifted into place. And But the cutting, the, the, the editing in this film is really good. The battle that's just about to f- come between him and Ludo is a mixture of both, you know, but it's done so well, it's almost seamless, I think. Are you there? Oh. 
true story. I like hey, <laughs> hang on. Did you know that you've muted all this time? Did, is that what? So, so basically, what happened? I think I leant forward. <laughs> what to emphasise was, something? And you, I was, I, I, I was leaning forward to see to see if I had the book um, near me, so I could see if uh, if Ambrosius was in the book. And then when I leant back, I was thinking, it's gone very quiet. Okay, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> he was talking about a dog changing a second ago. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just about assume that. I went to the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> I, I fell in. I fell in. <laughs> well, you're out again. Dry yourself off, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is a painting in there of Didymus and Ambrosius in the Goblins of Labyrinth book. There's a one of those two-page paintings, I think, is in there. Yes, there is, yeah. which doesn't quite look like them. It's no. um, a lot more heraldic looking. Um, but, um, yeah, there's some, there's some, it is a good book. Definitely look it up for everyone. But, um, sorry, so I had muted just then. No, I, so. I, I was in full <laughs> flow and you cut me off. Um, no, no, I was, I was going to say, no, I mean, it, the editing is very good. This fight, because, you know, um, you know, it's a rod puppet and then it's a regular, you know, operated from above puppet. The bit where he climbs up this, this lofty mountain, which is Ludo, there's obviously somebody standing just behind Ludo yeah. holding the puppet up. But at no point can you see anything of that person. It's been done very, very well. I think, see, this is it. This is going back to the why Hoggle sometimes grates because everything else in that is done incredibly well. Everything else you actually think to yourself, this feels, you're suspending belief, but it feels more realistic. Mm. Uh, Apart from Ambrosius one minute being a puppet and the very next minute being a dog. I think they would have been better off just having a puppet dog throughout the entire thing. Mm. Um, But, um, I think, yeah, that, that it's going back to the Hoggle thing because clearly Ludo is a man in a costume with extra people around the outside making his arms move, and then someone off screen with a robo with a robo kit. <laughs> what, what what do they call them? Remote controls. Remote control, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a robo, robo kit. kit. Oh dear. A robo kit. Um, so. Um, yeah, so the remote control is uh, making his facial expressions move and things like that. I just think that, yeah, I, there's so many different styles that are used in this. There are string puppets, there are rod puppets, there are characters in costume. There is clearly animatronics um, controlled by remote control. Um, there is so much going on um, that... It must have been on set the most amazing amount of people mm. on set at any one time, and you couldn't see any of them. No, not at all. And if you're a child, you're not thinking about the process of what you're seeing and how you're seeing all this. You just you just become part of it, don't you? You know, you just go yeah. along with it. And yeah, I mean, there are a couple of times you know you go, oh, I don't know if that effect has. Um, uh, dated too well i mean like the dance around the fire with the uh the creatures you know the effects of oh, the fire is. This. yeah i mean see see i mentioned earlier that there was a, there was obviously a, uh, a moment uh in this film where i feel quite uncomfortable and it's the fiery scene it's the um danny john jules by the way is in the fiery scene so so like um and um it's 
even at the time, it's very much like a Jar Jar Binks kind of moment. It's you're suddenly very. I think we were just coming into a time of of being aware that that race. I mean, we've always known that racism is wrong, um, but racial stereotypes were starting to be frowned upon mm. as well. It, it was the eighties was very much a time of people actually opening their eyes and going, "Yeah, you." You can't do that. You can't do these Jim Davison jokes anymore. Um, and we had alternate comics coming up. So as teenagers and above, we were becoming very aware that so like certain things were, yeah, that's that's wrong and it, it, it feels wrong. Mm. And I think... I think the whole fiery sequence... First off, there's a, there's a horrible cultural appropriation thing that seems to be going on with the accents yeah. um and the dancing um that makes me feel uncomfortable and then the whole tearing each other apart and and really bringing you to terms that these are puppets um it it's it just doesn't work none of it works uh, the and and so I'm really uncomfortable at during that scene and then we go straight into the Bog of Eternal Stench, which I think is a sublime scene, even mm. though it's quite, even though technically it's quite a dull scene, it's more of a talky, introducing characters kind of scene. Um, but it's a funny scene, you know? And, yeah. you know, back at, back at the Granada Maidstone, um, you know, I've said before, you know, I used to time films when we would show a film I would time so I'd know that X amount of time into a film that sequence would happen and I, I would go and watch the Bog of Eternal Stench bit but if I got there a bit too early and I did have the fireside thing it's like mm, I got here a bit too early I was never interested in that I was just waiting to get yeah. past it to the Bog of Eternal Stench scene yeah I hate it I absolutely hate it as a scene it's um it just I think if you only if you showed if you take any film you can show anybody a scene from a film where they'd go oh yeah I don't think I'd watch that mm. and then you can show them another scene from a film where they'd go oh this looks amazing I'm going to watch all of this which is obviously what trailers play on they play yes. on the fact that you've got to show a scene which is going to appeal to a wider amount of people so that everybody can actually come along um, and watch the film but I think the fiery scene, it's one of those things I would like to meet someone that, that says that that's one of their favourite scenes in the film. I think it's very awkwardly done. It feels very much bad CGI. It feels very much bad puppetry work. It feels very much bad racial stereotyping. Yeah, it's my least favourite film, uh, I, I, least favourite bit. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally agree with you. Yeah, that is the weak point of this film. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're in the bog still, no, aren't we? Yes. We are, yes. Um, because, yeah, we have this fight between him and Ludo, and it ends with Didymus calling a halt because, you know, he's been bested in battle. Yes. Um, but he still won't let them pass because he's sworn no. this oath. And I do like the way Sarah says, well, can we have your permission? And that's... Yeah. This is a puppet, <laughs> right? It's a rod puppet acting, right? But the way he mulls it over and it's like, mm, um, and he's like sort of looking around and then he turns to Sarah and he sort of like squints with his one eye and then his eye mm. opens and he's like, yes. <laughs> you know? It's brilliant. It's, it's a totally charming, brilliant moment. It's It's... I think possibly the best Jim Henson moment in the entire film. 
Um, because Jim Henson makes Muppets human. Um, he gives you them a humanity that you go, oh, I know that person. Mm. I know that situation. Um, and the reason the Muppets are so popular and so successful is because we know the characters. It doesn't matter that they're a fuzzy felt pig um, or a strange creature from outer space that likes chickens. That We know those characters. That they are... There is something human about them. And I think Sir Didymus is very much a human character. Um, he's got foibles and things like that. But as you said, a simple rod puppet um, is made... You, you buy into his belief that actually i am in charge of this i have the reason you can't cross this bridge no one has told me to do it i've decided that you can't do it so therefore i should be able to decide that you can do it yes. and and it's lovely it's just a beautiful jim henson moment i think one of the one of the greatest puppet moments in the film yeah yeah again totally agree um so yeah they're allowed to pass and Oh, Sarah goes first. And as we said, they did put old, poor old Jennifer Connolly through the mill <laughs> for this film. I mean, she, I think a lot of it is to do with uh, the age she was at, because I think the Jennifer Connolly now, if, you know, they asked her to do the things they asked her to do in this film, she'd just say, get stuffed. Oh, you? I don't know. I don't know. If you, I mean, have you seen, is it like, not Life of Pi? Is it Pi? Oh, um, yes, Pi, or, yeah. Or Requiem for a Dream. No, Requiem yeah, for a Dream. Yes. Yeah, they, they put her through a lot more yeah, in that, They mate. did, actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point, yeah. No, you're all right. I'm, I'm, she's a game girl, just put it that way, yeah. Because that's clearly her. That is clearly her hanging. I don't know how deep that water was, but, you know, it couldn't have been nice because that, that, this would have been, for days, they would have been filming in that. That's going off rapidly. Um, there's an yeah. awful lot of additives in the water which i'll tell you about in behind the scenes but they, she's yeah. clearly got no safety harness on or anything like that they they she is hanging well, from that route you say that i mean we, we've just literally finished saying that um a puppet climbs up the back of another thing and you don't see True. the puppeteer so there's no way you can say that um that she's definitely not got a safety harness on. All right, okay, maybe um, she has then. <laughs> but it doesn't look like it. I mean, she does look in peril. She does look like she's going to fall into this stuff. And at the end of the day, it's it's a muddy stream. Um, that's what it is. But because they've done such a good job with the the, the sphincters and the and the the noise and sound effects and the colouring, you don't want her to fall into it. No. Um, she's there's no peril as in she's gonna drown or she's gonna catch fire or she's gonna melt. She's just gonna smell bad. Um, For the rest and, of her life. Uh, yeah, but only only what touches it. So you're assuming the clothes that she falls into, are what's gonna smell bad. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the fear is that we have there. But you really do go. Oh God, don't fall in. <laughs> yeah, you've just yeah, yeah, you've just made me think about something. I've, I've got a question for in a minute about when she uses the stepping stones, and it's like, hang on, those stepping <laughs> stones are still yeah. wet, so therefore yeah. she will stink. But no, yeah. her shoes will stink, but she yeah, won't yeah. stink. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah, and, and that's the point, isn't it? Ludo summons the rocks. and His friends the rocks. Yeah, now, apparently that's a Jim Henson idea. Jim Henson was a, a great one for the idea of, um, you know, communing with nature and living alongside nature. So this is yeah. a Jim Henson invention that he should summon the, the rocks to help them. 
Um, I do remember when this was on in the cinema, the bit I always takes me out of it is that rock when it first comes rolling down and it reaches the side of the bog and then it goes in. But then it sort of like just glides across the water. Yes, um, it, it, it floats across the water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it practically swims. That's that's the only bit that takes me out of it a little bit. It's not the most convincing. See, I I have always just said it that the water was not that deep. So it slid along the bottom. Then. Yeah, that's that's how I've uh, that's how I've seen it. That because uh, otherwise the the rocks that suddenly come up from nowhere. Are they are they floating? Are they all floating? Although when when they jump on them, they do go up and down and make the squelchy noises. That is my next <laughs> bit. I mean, it's terrific. You know, when Ludo walks across, whoever's doing the sound editing to put a fart for each step. I mean, yeah. you know, I, that's why I used to watch it. I just found this all hilarious. You know, because <laughs> we're British, we like fart jokes, don't we? Of course you, you do. Know? Like you say, not when it's happening to you, but if it happens to somebody else, yeah. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, th- it's been timed to perfection, and each fart is a different fart for each step yeah. they take. It's almost like he's walking along a piano of but farts. It's, it's always reminiscent of Big, isn't it, with the with the piano yes. on the floor <laughs> scene, so like, um, I, which is another great moment um, in in film. So, yeah, it's lovely. I mean, I remember as a kid going back to. Um, before this time where there was there was so many toys where you just pressed a button and something would make a silly noise mm-hmm. and you would be absolutely over the moon and greeting this cards was... as well that would fart yeah, yeah. when you open them as well exactly it was just it was something that it was a very childish giggle but it was it was an honest giggle they can say someone farted and yeah I think it's nice that when he runs across it, it does that musical. (laughs) It's, it's just, yeah, we, we, we grew up on it. One of my favorite Paul Merton jokes is, uh, you know, somebody comes up to Paul Merton's and says, how dare you, uh, break wind before my wife. And he says, I didn't realize it was her turn to go first. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, yeah, we have this melody, like you say, like big, it'd be really good if on YouTube, somebody has done, the big, uh, the big piano sequence, but put the farts from Labyrinth over the top. That'd be quite I'm fun. Sh- I'm sure they must. Have done. Yes. <laughs> All right. Imagine them not. And then, yeah, here comes Ambrosius. Yeah, this uh, this scaredy cat dog, this puppy yeah. head that in no way they haven't even attempted to match <laughs> no, the real no. one, have they? You know, <laughs> it, it looks like a completely different animal. It was really funny. Yes, and and patently real where the other one wasn't. Um, Another thing that always takes me out of it in this sequence is the 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 Percy Edwards woof. That's not a real dog woofing, is it? No, no. <laughs> but then this whole film is made up. Of, That's what I'm um, saying. It's a fairy tale, you know. Because no, David Bowie is is the uh, didn't like the gurgles of um, of Toby, um, the baby. Um, so David Bowie does all the gurgles for the baby. Um, this this is a film where people clearly grown ups have decided that's not what a dog sounds like. That's not what a baby sounds like. <laughs> I can do a better baby than the baby's doing. Yeah. And what they've done is they've done the fantasy version of woofs and things like that. Mm. There's um there's an American dad um or not American dad. There's a, the guy that uh, does Seth MacFarlane. 
um, he does used to do a, an internet uh, comedy thing, and it has a dog go woof, um, and someone say. Did you say woof or did you woof <laughs> to the dog? <laughs> which which I think is just wonderful because it's that it's one of those stupid things. Terry Pratchett I think plays on it as well with Gaspod the uh, the dog, where it can talk, but every now and again when someone looks at it, it says woof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same sort of thing here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's when they go across. Ambrosius, you know, again we've got a you know a wire puppet. Um, Didymus gets on to Ambrosius, and they go across. And again, we've got the uh, the fast farting this time. It's a great, it's a great full stop, you know. The and that's the end to that sequence. Yeah. Although just afterwards, when um, you know Ambrosius and Didymus go past, I think it's Hoggle, it's Hoggle or Ludo. He goes past, and he goes, "Excuse me, uh, thank you." You know, as they go past. Yeah. That was put on afterwards that was never scripted it's just that the dog oh, went right, fa- okay. yeah the dog went faster than he was supposed to have done so um they that they just dubbed in that line oh. afterwards you see which i love i quite like stuff like that yeah i think it's nice when when someone goes well i really like this scene but we we need to we need to add a bit of politeness in it yes. to have it he is uh, a- otherwise your turn. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say he is very polite, Didymus, isn't he? You know, I love the fact we had a polite moment of yes. who was going to speak first in a, in a conversation about politeness. So that was a polite <laughs> pause about the polite pause, yeah. And and that's our sequence over. Um, yeah. yeah, you know they go off to the next. Uh, um, uh, One last David Bowie face, and then they're off. Yes, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about you know um, a sequel? If they ever announced, oh, we're going to do a sequel, Jennifer Connelly is coming back as Sarah, and I don't know, her daughter, her granddaughter has gone into the labyrinth and she's got to go back. Would you be up for that? I, well, I've already read the sequel, because um, the sequel was I didn't know done. there was one. Yeah, so there's a manga, um, it's a sequel, um, and it's... It's very good. I mean, it's only in comic form. Um, it's not an anime. It's a. It's definitely a manga. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a sequel to um, the Labyrinth. Any um, good? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's it's Toby. So it's Toby grown up and um, or as a child and dealing with Jareth, who is no longer the Goblin King and has left the Labyrinth. Um, and all this kind of stuff. It's it's very. I don't want to give too much away because it's quite a twisty, turny. It's very Japanese in its um, right. in its storytelling. I'll have to look but I for think, it. yeah, I think they've I think they've done enough of a story in that that the story is still there. And there's there's fan fiction all over the place that you can read. And um, the labyrinth has stayed has stayed in people's consciousness for a very long time. Um, so I think is it is it worthwhile doing a, a movie sequel? Possibly not. Um, I'm very much... I, I started watching the Netflix um, Dark Crystal and loads of people were absolutely raved about it and I liked it. It was all right. But the Dark Crystal was already there. You yes. didn't need something else for it. That's my thought about Labyrinth. Just leave it. You know, it, it, it it's a classic. You don't need to tell the story anymore. It's night, nicely finishes at the end, you know, yeah. and uh, leave it be. Yeah, it's it's an... 
the, the moment you start adding extra bits, I mean, as you as you know, my greatest film of all time is Highlander, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I begged you to do a Highlander thing, but we'd you'd already done it with other people. <laughs> but oh, um, haven't done, we haven't done a Highlander. Have you not done a Highlander? Maybe I should come back. Been and we saving do a for Highlander. you, Kit. Been waiting for you. <laughs> I'm friends with James Cosmo, so so there what, we can. There uh... can be only one co-host on that, and that's you, Kit. All right. Oh well, that's that's beautiful. But there you go. You say there can be only there, there can be only one, but there's four of those bloody things. And they're planning on making another one. And so a TV show. This. And yeah, well, there's a yeah, TV show. There's an animated series. There's everything. So, um, yeah. So, so maybe I don't know. So I, I think people want stuff because they're going. I really love this, and I want more of it. But the moment you give them more of it, it dilutes it down and it stops being yeah, but what the about, thing it was. What, what about if it's a spin-off? What about if it was something like Tales from the Goblin City and you have a, a Netflix TV show set around you know, the, the town, the city that we've got in the labyrinth? It hasn't got anything to do with Sarah or even the Goblin King, you know? That would be all right. <sighs> would it, though? Would it? I mean, isn't that what Dark Crystal tried to do with the Netflix series didn't it try and oh. do something which was we the story's been told so let's go back and tell a story that happened before or a story that happened to someone else then it's just something to do a different story do a, another story which is beloved and mm. and we like don't do it about a labyrinth do it about I don't know do it anything that Del Toro has done there there you go everything Del Toro has done is sequels to the labyrinth <laughs> <laughs> There we go. <laughs> All right, so uh, I've got some behind the scenes. Awesome for you. Now, the production designer on this film was Elliot Scott, right? A guy by the name of Elliot Scott. Um, okay. he, he's obviously worked on other films. Um, do any of these? Do you think match? You know, in tone. You know what we saw in Labyrinth. <laughs> All right. I know where this is going. Okay, well, far away. At least one, I can say yes, all right? Okay, yeah. So, here we go. Right, Warlords of Atlantis. D- absolutely love that as a film. I've got it beside me. Um, one of my favourite um, Doug McClure films ever. Right. Is that a yes? <laughs> yes. All right. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No. no. It's, a di- it's, a different, <laughs> it's a different thing completely. Yeah. Um, beautiful film, different. All right. Well, what about this one? Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. See, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is one of those Indiana Jones films which kind of it, it should have been a standalone film, should have been something different. It it was it didn't find its legs. So maybe maybe mm. maybe he he would be good for making a sequel to Labyrinth because he clearly yeah. <laughs> and can make a sequel. It's very funny that you mentioned it earlier, but he also did Last Crusade. So yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. It's uh, the man waiting around. So I wonder if he ever accidentally called um, the the Arthurian knights a Didymus. He might have, yeah. <laughs> and then the final thing he's worked on, which I can totally see being thematically linked to, to Labyrinth, uh, Dragon Slayer. Right. Dragon Slayer is one of... It's, I have family issues with Dragon Slayer. Because oh, really? it was one of those... Yeah, it was one of those films that I normally would have gone and seen with my cousin. Um, and uh, we would have then come away and just talked about it and drawn pictures of it. Um, but um, I went and saw it on the same night that my cousin saw it. So I saw it um, 
and he went to a cinema in Rochester and saw it. And on that night, his mum left his dad, took the uh, took that moment to 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 go. Um, and it was devastating because we were an incredibly close family. Um, and I've I've said now as an adult to my cousin how gutted I was because I couldn't talk about a dragon slayer <laughs> to him. Because so like his life had fallen apart, yeah. but I just wanted to talk about what, yeah, what I you think, think of that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's one of, probably one of the greatest movies of all time, um, but um, has this horrible connotation to it. Of I couldn't talk to him because sadness was happening, um, and I really wanted to talk. I love Dragonslayer, brilliant film, but again, completely different. To, it's you can see why he worked on it, but completely yeah. different film. I don't know. I mean, if in Labyrinth you had a scene where you had a dragon rear up and fly over the city, I think it would look like the dragon in Dragonslayer. No, no, the no. dragon in Dragonslayer. I think the dragon in Dragonslayer. Go back and watch Dragonslayer. Again, another film I've got beside me. Um, but go back and watch the dragon and dragon slayer. I'm t- every time I turn to look beside me now, I'm really careful not to mute the mic. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the dragon and dragon slayer, um, I think, still stands up today against films of the same ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it was so in front in advance of its time. It's um, it's a beautiful, beautiful. Um, a beautiful dragon. It just it, it it's yeah it's it's modern, as far as I'm concerned. I think it beats Smaug. Oh, completely. I'm yeah. thinking about it now. What you're saying there, I think maybe if there was a dragon in Labyrinth, it would be more like that little flying thing, that little chubby, yeah, yeah. skinny neck thing. Maybe that was the I... dragon. That that just only as, <laughs> only as big as a sparrow. I, I think if there had been a dragon in Labyrinth, it very much would have been um, with clockwork books stuck on the outside of it and a couple of uh, goblins riding on its back, fl- throwing down rocks yeah. and little bombs or yeah. whatnot. It wouldn't have been the dragon. No, the dragon from Dragon Slayer is, is just a little bit of perfection and very early perfection yes. of how to do a dragon in yeah. cinema. All right. Okay, well, that's Elliot Scott. George Gibbs was the effects guy on uh, Labyrinth. Right. Okay. Some of the other films he went uh, on to do or had done by then, you know, some you can see, yeah, 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 I, I can see similarities, some not. Um, number one, Battle of Britain. I don't think that um, <laughs> compares too much to Labyrinth, do you? St- still one of my favourite lines of that. Get your hands up, you bosh bastard. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got a bridge too far. Right, I've actually been to that bridge. It's in Sri Lanka. Okay. It's not where you. Th- it's not where you think it is. All right. So yeah. <laughs> what about Flash Gordon then? Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He did the effects in Flash Gordon. The physical, practical effects in Flash Gordon. See, see, I can imagine the Peter Duncan scene in um, Labyrinth. Yes. Yeah. Especially the creature yeah. in the tree stump. Yeah. 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 Everything about that—that's one hundred percent labyrinth. Um, it was—it was camp. It was—it was probably a little bit too colourful for the background. It, it felt like it was in a studio rather than yeah, actually in a treetop. Everything about that scene very much labyrinth. Now you've said it, yeah, yeah. I would say I could—you could transpose that into labyrinth, and I don't think it would look out of place. Yeah, if there was a forest, 
in Labyrinth, it would look like a Borea in Flash Gordon, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. 100% so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, the meaning of life. Monty Python's meaning of life. He did practical effects on that. So he's responsible for Mr. Creosote, basically. Oh, and also the the, uh, the the fact that death leads down and points to yes. um, the salmon the salmon noose. See, the, the death from that is very much um, Labyrinth kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the grotesqueness of Mr. Creosote. Yeah, yeah, I would say they yep. they they pan across. Yep. Um, and then really, you know, he did Fish Called Wanda, Roger Rabbit, um, Alien Three. He did the practical effects on Alien Three. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite moments about we're coming back from watching Alien Three. We had just we had spent the morning watching Doctor Who on um, on UK Gold. Um, and then went to watch Alien 3. And when we were leaving Alien 3, sitting in the car, everyone was criticising the special effects of Alien 3. And we had literally just spent the entire morning watching people bump into sets which were wobbling. <laughs> <laughs> and and none of us had criticised Doctor Who at all. But but we were all sitting there openly criticising Alien 3. <laughs> <laughs> right, next bit. The bog. The bog of the eternal stench. Um, right, th- with the chemicals. Yes, with the chemicals. <laughs> it, so, first of all, if you want to make your own bog, well, you right. could, you're gonna go to you could go to Matestone and and, and and just see it naturally. But if you want to make your own, I'm so I'm so glad you've moved away from here because I moved <laughs> I moved away before you, but then I moved back. I think you're <laughs> I think you're our only Matestone listener, so uh, I, I think okay. I, I think I'm safe to say this. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want to make your own at home, folks, you've got to get thirty thousand gallons of water, okay, uh, right, mixed with coal. And silicol is a thickening powder that's used in wallpaper paste to yeah. make it nice and sludgy. Uh, you add brown and blue dye, okay? Okay. Liquid paraffin. <laughs> okay. And then tiny gla- glass beads for your bubbles. Oh, right, okay. Hmm. Yes. See, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, as you said, it didn't smell. No. Um, but don't so... light a match near it. there's a lot of water involved i'm sure it would be fine all right okay um all the stonework that you see you know you were saying about the parapet there there and they fall down i I love that yeah none of it is stone it is all plaster there is there isn't one bit of real stone at all in this scene you know it's it's incredibly well done that whole that whole wall that they put themselves up flat up against and such a shame that sort of at the time then Hoggle looks his least impressive. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, according to Brian Froud, he's uncertain what Didymus actually is. Because I've always thought he's some sort of like strange form of goblin, right? But all yeah. Brian Froud says, he says, all he'll say, what he won't be pinned down, he says he's part dog, part fox, and a retired soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So presumably, nice. whatever nice. army he was in, there's a yeah. polite pause there. <laughs> there was. No, I was going to say whatever, whatever army he was in. Was, are there other more Didymuses? Are there more Didymi out there, or was he? Is he the only creature that looks like that in this world? I, I, I don't know. I quite like the idea of sort of like maybe they were wiped out um, by by people. And he is the last one left. Yeah, I quite like that. That that that's a, that's a nice little aside. I but like um, 
I like the fact that he falls into what I call the, the Goofy Pluto paradox, which is the fact that Goofy has a dog called Pluto. Yes. Um, and uh, Sir Didymus has a dog called Ambrosius. Um, and you're thinking, but aren't, aren't you a you dog? A dog? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it is all a bit weird. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you know the reason why Didymus has got that staff? That he carries with him, that he you know bangs on Ludo's head and and what have you. I I was assuming it was because he's a rod puppet and it just gives you something to move his arm around. Absolutely, with. because you know Kermit, yeah. you you've got two wires, one for each arm. If he's holding yeah. a staff, you just hold the bottom of the staff. You don't have to worry about concealing the the rod for the arm. Yeah, you know, brilliant idea that. Brilliant. See, Rod, Jane, and Freddie—they were always worried about concealing the rod. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jane was worried about concealing the rod. Yes, I don't think she was that worried. <laughs> she was the rod concealer. Yeah. Um, so, well, there's a reference there's, I, that no I one is going to get. <laughs> All right, um, Ambrosius, right? The dog Ambrosius. He's called Ambrosius because in Geoffrey Monmouth's A History of the Kings of Britain, Merlin's second name is Ambrosius he's Merlin Ambrosius that's where that comes from and again that's a Terry Jones really? you know yeah 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 he's up on Arthurian myth and 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 medieval history isn't he so he knew that yeah. that's why he's called Ambrosius he, I mean so like of all the people that I've I mean because I met Terry Jones very briefly um and Graham Chapman uh very briefly um of all the uh, pythons terry jones to me will always be the one that's most missed because he was just his historical revenance mm. um uh, and his attention to detail when he when he put these things down on on celluloid was just so good um because he was passionate about yes. it and you could really see it in him that he was passionate i mean eric the viking labyrinth um uh, the Arthurian legends that you, I think he worked on a, a Gwen and the Green Knight thing. Yeah. Um, they all had a, a proper Terry Jones understanding history behind them, which made them feel more believable. Yeah. So they, they, they were rightly grubby. Every, every thing you've just named there. I mean, that's how the medievals, medieval ages were, weren't they? You know? Yeah. You know, it must be a king. Why? Because he hasn't got shit all over him because everybody was covered <laughs> in shit, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I thought of you. I mean, you mentioned it earlier oh. about, you know, um, yeah, what? You're right. Oh, no, 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 for a second there, I thought you'd muted again, but you hadn't. It was, it was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was, sir. It was politeness. Um, yes, okay, again. Um, no, what you said earlier about heraldry, um, it's not very clear, but Ambrosius on his saddle. Okay, he's he's got heraldic signifiers. Would you care to know what heraldic signifiers he's got? I would love to know what heraldic signifiers right. he's got. He's got three bones rampant, right? <laughs> okay, that's not the best. Se okay. Seven black paw marks, a right. checkered square, some trees, and a fire hydrant. <laughs> Again, that's a Terry Jones. I'm sure that's Terry Jones, you know. Of course, yeah. yes. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> um, apparently, according to Brian Froud, when he went to, I think it was about 1990, when in London they opened uh, the Museum of the Moving Image, 
he went along to the opening of that and Prince Charles was there and he met Prince Charles and he said, oh, we've met before. And Prince Charles, oh, yeah, when? He said, at the premiere of Labyrinth. And Prince Charles right. went, oh, the Bog of Eternal Stench. And immediately started <laughs> talking about the Bog of Eternal Stench. And he said, Prince Charles said, that he was the only one in that audience that laughed at the farting because everybody else <laughs> thought that was, you know, beneath... You know, that's too coarse and common to be laughing at fart jokes. But Prince Charles did, you know. That's brilliant. But then isn't that I don't want to laugh at a fart joke in front of a royal as opposed to I don't want to laugh at a fart joke. I'm sure they all do. Yes, of course. they. When they watch it on video, they would have laughed at it. Yes. A little bit of gossip here, okay. When they were making this um, in the uh, sound stages next door was legend was being made. Okay. Wow, you know, and see Tom Cruise's greatest work. Yes, yeah, I, I love Legend. Legend is a yeah. fantastic film. Um, but Brian Henson see- met Mia Sara there and developed a crush on her. And when they met some years later, ah. they they got married. Yeah, and it was because of those two L films. So, so let's get this straight. So, Mia Sara was also so like dodgily used in a, in the film at exactly the same time. Then, by s- s- some supernatural <laughs> being lusting after her, yes, yeah, because yeah, she's just a she's a, a teenager. Isn't I it? think she, she was a, a teenager. Teen? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, wow, uh, these. So, if you, I mean, I didn't realize they were filmed right next door to each other because yes. that's that's quite the parallels between those two films. It's about a young girl being led astray by the king of darkness, the king of goblins, um, who tries to show that he's being everything she wants by being as evil as he possibly can be, and then dressing her up as an adult yes. <laughs> um, yes. in a dress that she didn't choose, but here, wear this dress for me. Yeah. They are both massively salacious. They are. And of course, you've got Tim Curry and <laughs> Tim Curry and um, David Bowie, both um, salacious men <laughs> <laughs> in the main roles. That's just, I, that's uncanny. And you could take Peg Powler from Labyrinth easily straight across i don't think she's called peg powler in it i think she's called mucky meg or something um but the witch in the water you mean meg Mucklebones? Um, meg Mucklebones, yeah. that's it yeah but she's based on peg powler and jenny green teeth yes from, yes from um but you could take her so easily from labyrinth and put her across into um uh, sorry, you could take her from Legend and put her so easily across into Labyrinth. Absolutely. And of course, you know, Legend also has this, you know, um, demonic uh, creature lusting after the teenage girl, sending out goblin underlings to do his business yeah, yeah. for him as well. So, yeah. Go- goblin underlings, which are mainly armoured. And uh, there is one fairy in both of the things. And, and the fairies in both of them are not traditional fairies. They're no. both aggressive little shits. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing that both been made at exactly the same time in the same location, you know? That's just... I wonder how many times they sat down at the catering trucks together and shared ideas. Well, it was through that intermingling that, that yeah, Brian Henson met Mia Sara. And, of course, Legend as well is studio-bound, all studio-bound yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, it? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, well, that's... that's well, that's the most interesting thing I've taken away from today. Oh, I've listener. got one. I've got. <laughs> I haven't told you all yet. I've got one more snippet. Uh, although oh, I is there? Yeah. No, it's only to say that the owl that we see, you know, especially at the end, 
Um, oh, the awful, awful owl. <laughs> well, the reason it's awful, awful owl, it's the very first attempt at a photorealistic CGI animal creature in a feature film, and boy, doesn't it show. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, at the time, there was um, a games company that used an owl as its uh, logo, and every time I saw it, it just looks like an advert for this games company. Right. right. Um and at the time, even at the time, it was, oh, God, that's that's awful. <laughs> but again, another one where they used a real owl that looked amazing. And, and then, then cut to this. And then weirdly cut to something which was rubbish. It, it, it was up <laughs> there with the matched. one from Clash of the Titans, wasn't it? In, in, in the way it flapped its wings and stuff. It was awful. Really Be- bad. Was it Be- Bebo? I think it's Boobo. Boobo. <laughs> Yeah. I used to love that because I was the right age when Clash of the Titans came out for that that owl clearly to be aimed at me. Yes, <laughs> not anymore though. No, no, no. All right, so that's the last of behind the scenes. So we have to give our votes now, um, right? Out of ten, if you don't mind, for the entire sequence of the Bog of Eternal Stench. What what you give it, Kit? I I mean, I still think it stands up. 100% so like there's there's very little in that that I would go oh I don't like that I, I'm going to mark it down probably to an 8 because I mean it's not perfect I mean there's the the transition between puppet dog and real dog and there's uh, Hoggle against the wall where I always feel a little bit uncomfortable by the size of his head and hands um, so I'm going to knock it down to an 8 alright well I had it at 8.5 alright um, yeah, for exactly the reasons uh, you've said. It still holds up, though. I mean, the little niggles, yeah. you know, that you've got and I've got, you know, it doesn't deter from the fact that it's a, no, no. It's a brilliant uh, sequence from a brilliant film. So, yeah, so that gives yeah, it yeah. 8.25, all right? That's an average of 8.25, it gets, which I think Fantastic. perfectly fine. Perfectly happy with that. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, that's us done for today. Um, so thank, awesome. thank you for coming along. This is your inaugural launch on effectively speaking but we're going to have you back um you know for highlander apparently <laughs> well highlander and i thought dragon slayer as well because we haven't done wow. dragon slayer yet can we just do the bit in the pond with the uh with the oh you're not a boy yeah that's my f- <laughs> that got me through that got me through a fair few teenage days i can tell you <laughs> that and sarah here yes yes all right well we'll have you back for them too at least all right during 2021 okay Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here with you and your listener. Um, In this virtual pub. (laughs) In this virtual pub drinking tea. Yes, with polite pauses. That should be the name of the pub, polite pauses. And the logo was some cat paws. Polite pauses. There, 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 was, there, was a, there was a lovely pause in the middle of it when I leant forward to check if I had a book, which I didn't have. And then you I paused, paused it. <laughs> for, for a whole minute. Well, that's good. It means the, you know, the listener can go off and go to the toilet or make a cup of tea or something. You know? <laughs> I'll leave that in. I won't cut the pause out, all right? Thanks. Okay. That's, that's for you, listener. <laughs> yeah, we did that for you. Yes, yeah. All right. And so, yeah, thank you very much, Kit. Um, listener, head Thanks, over Eric. to Facebook because on Facebook we'll have links to uh, all of uh, Kit's creative bits, all right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, hopefully speak to you soon, Kit. All right. Speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Talk to yourself, fella. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.